Welcome to episode 127 of the Women of the Military podcast. Today, my guest is Marissa Rock. She joined the Air Force when her mom talked to a friend who happened to be married to an Air Force recruiter about the financial strain of college. Her mom introduced her to the recruiter, and he shared the educational benefits which led her to join the Air Force. She likes to say that her recruiter said she is the success story, that he never expected her to make it through boot camp and she did. So she likes to tell her story because if she can do it, anyone can do it. And she served as a geospatial intelligence imagery analyst, and she didn't really know what job she wanted to do, but when she got her ASVAB score and it allowed her to work at Intel, her recruiter recommended that, that she look into that career field, and so that's what she did. We also talked about the struggles that she faced with some of the women in her group causing her undue stress, and she also had a very close friend who confided in her that she had been gang raped by their classmates and the military did nothing to help that young lady, and she reported it, went to mental health, and once she went to mental health, she was told she had to be reassigned to get a new career field. So this is another story highlighting some of the issues within the military with military sexual assault and trauma. And so I'm thankful that Marissa was brave enough to share the story and how it affected her, even though she wasn't the one who was raped. It's another great interview, so let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. another woman-run podcast. This week, I'm highlighting the podcast, the Combat Divas podcast. Tonisha B. and TG are two female combat veterans who humorously co-host and tell their experiences in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and in their day-to-day life experiences. Their conversations highlight the ups and downs of being a female in the Army, slight PTSD, relationships, sex, wellness, and current events. They do it all. And when I say they do it all, they cover a lot of topics and they cover them in a way that's very raw and honest and also entertaining. So if you're looking for a podcast with real advice and real in-depth discussion of topics that matter, I highly recommend going to check out the Combat Divas podcast. And now let's get started with this week's episode featuring Marissa Rock. Welcome to the show, Marissa. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the Air Force? This is a a fun story of mine. So joining the military was honestly never really on my radar. It was just never really an option I had considered, you know, like from high school to college. I just didn't know anything about it. Nobody in my family had served except for my pop-up who was in the Navy during World War II. 
So yeah, I just always envisioned myself going to college, which is what I ended up doing right after high school. I went to a college about an hour away from home at Millersville University in Pennsylvania and worked two jobs as a waitress, but ended up just kind of being frustrated with the environment mostly because you know, I had to prioritize working and studying while everyone else was like partying all the time. And I just found that I matured re- really quickly in my teenage years. It was just my my mom and me once high school started, my sister went off to college and stuff like that too. So I knew a lot about our financial situation and was kind of expected to get a job and help out and things like that. So during my third semester of college, I just, I realized I didn't want to be that additional financial burden on my mom. And my mom actually ended up relaying my frustrations to one of her friends whose husband was an Air Force recruiter at the time. So we all went out to dinner one night and after learning about the education benefits, I was just like so ready to sign my life away. My mom, of course, was a nervous wreck about it and so was my recruiter, to be honest. (laughs) But you decided that The education benefits was like the main driver to get you to join, and you didn't really think about what that meant to join the military? Yeah, I just, the whole process of joining was so funny. I mean, yeah, because education was, of course, the driving factor. I But I was just so oblivious to like the military culture and the requirements. You know, I had to, I had to gain weight, hope they didn't realize I had scoliosis, you know, like the night before I shipped off my recruiter and I actually had to stop at a mall to get a stuck piercing out of my ear and then afterwards stop for nail polish remover, like the whole nine yards. Like it was just, (laughs) I was oblivious. And he admits to this day that he's surprised that I not only made it through, but excelled and received, you know, several accolades along the way. And he even said that he uses me as his success story if anyone was weary about joining. Like you can do it. Marissa did it. Exactly. (laughs) If Marissa can do it, anyone can do it. (laughs) That's really interesting. I feel like there were a lot of unknowns and like questions not answered. Do you feel like you got in the right career field or do you even think like the Air Force was the right choice or was it kind of like you met this recruiter and you needed a way to pay for college and so you just checked the boxes and, and went off to boot camp? Yeah, that's kind of how it happened, honestly. I Because, again, I didn't know anything about how the jobs worked. I mean, I went to take the ASVAB and, you know, I was just very briefly educated on like, okay, you know, you get these certain scores and it depends on, you know, your scores, whether, you know, what jobs you qualify for and all that. But again, I mean, I wasn't really, I studied for the ASVAB, but I never had a specific job in mind. And I mean, I flunked like the electronics portion and like, you know, all those like mechanical, like technical things, but luckily had like an overall, like a higher general score or something. So I just remember getting like a printout of all these jobs I was qualified for. And then my recruiter noticed that like I qualified for all the Intel jobs and he's like, oh, you should do that. It's, you know, Intel's really, really nice. I think you'd like it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I just kind of trusted him because he was a family friend. So I ended up enjoying it for the most part. I mean, I, so I joined, let's see, 2011 and I was four years on active duty. And then again, like this is, this is a little tangential, but like, I didn't know that I could do like guard or reserve. Like I thought, I just had no idea about how any of it worked. 
So ended up doing um, active duty um, from 2011 to 2015. So I was a geospatial intelligence imagery analyst. And um, my basic training was, of course, at Lackland in San Antonio. And then my tech school training was at Goodfellow in San Angelo, Texas. And then I was stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Hampton, Virginia. And then that's where I specialized in battle damage assessment. So, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed my job for the most part, but, you know, because it was it was pretty straightforward. I kind of had this, you know, like a typical day would revolve around contingency planning. So I'd have like a Monday through Friday, seven to four kind of schedule. You know, I did work 12 hour shifts on like a day and night rotation whenever we were in 24 hour ops. But most of my time, you know, during that contingency planning was putting together weekly intelligence briefings for our, our squadron job-related briefings for our visiting commanders, developing training materials, and leading exercises to train National Guard squadrons across the country. So, I mean, it was a pretty fulfilling job, I guess, but, you know, especially being that young, you know, like 19, 20 years old, you feel like, you know, you have this really important job to do. But just over the years, I found that I was just... I was feeling like I would probably be more fulfilled by a career where I was working more with people rather than with computers. You know, you were, you had your squadron, of course, of people you're working with, but I wasn't feeling like I was directly helping anyone. So that's kind of why I, I, I actually considered staying in because I was promoted to E5, but I wanted to retrain but they, at the time, our career field was cr- critically manned, so they wouldn't let me. So I kind of just said, okay, well, <laughs> I'm done then because <laughs> I didn't want to reenlist and stay in that same career field. So I was like, this must be a sign to just, you know, go back to school like I had planned to do. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's funny that the military is like, your career field is so important. We aren't going to let you leave. And you're like, well, I, my commitment's up. And they're like, we're still not going to let you cross train. It's like, well, I was going to stay in, but you're not letting me move into a new job. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, you think they just want to keep you no matter what job you have. You know, I think they do, but they think for some reason they're like, oh, it's critically manned. Like, and maybe they'll, I don't know, maybe they'll guilt trip you into staying into that job. I don't know. The military does some silly stuff sometimes. So... When you were in the military, you say that your job, like, it wasn't your favorite thing to do, but you found fulfillment and it was pretty straightforward. So, and you said that you were promoting. And so, did you face any challenges while serving on active duty? So many challenges. (laughs) I mean, where do I, where do I begin? Physical, mental, emotional. I mean, and that, it started, you know, basically day one. And in basic training, I ended up developing stress fractures in both my shins by like the second or third week of basic training. So that was just overall a, a pretty big physical struggle for me because I was just in a lot of pain, but, and not just when we ran, but when we marched, you know, which was all the time. And, you know, just anytime we were carrying equipment, it made it worse. And yeah, my, my injury was actually bad enough that I got held back from going to tech school until I could pass a running test, you know, even though I had already passed all of them during basic training. But I guess they just didn't want me to show up to tech school with a waiver, even though, you know, I, I ended up getting put back on one anyway. But there's just, it was just frustrating because there's really nothing you can do to heal stress fractures except for rest, you know. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like you, because you said you like went to get the 
the piercing removed and you like your fingernails polish removed did you feel like you were prepared like physically did your recruiter have you like run or do push-ups or anything before you left for basic training uh it was a tricky situation because I definitely needed work on my runtime but the thing was I actually needed to gain weight to join so I was just eating a lot of protein bars and like actually doing a little bit of weightlifting with one of my friends from high school so it was sort of a tricky balance because I didn't want to do like all this cardio and then you know lose pounds, you know, doing that because it was hard for me to keep weight on at that age. I guess just my metabolism was so fast. I wish I could go back to those days. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I barely made the weight requirement. I remember like the morning at the hotel, you know, going down for breakfast, you know, when you the shipping off date or whatever. And all these girls are like barely wanting to eat like at my table. And I'm like <laughs> shoving my face and like drinking all this water and like holding my pee until like after they weigh me <laughs> to make sure I, I fit the requirement. So that was kind of crazy. But I mean, yeah, in general, I feel like I was physically ready-ish. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't super behind when I got there. I mean, I definitely had some work to do, but I felt like I had a pretty good baseline. That's good to hear. So then we'll dive a little bit more into like the mental and the emotional challenges that you mentioned. Yeah. So when, once I finally got to tech school, um, that's when I faced, you know, more of the mental and emotional struggles. There were two female sergeants in my class who were determined to make my life a living hell for no reason. They just, they harassed me about the most random things. They harassed me about my blonde hair color being out of regs when all 11 of my MTLs said it wasn't, you know, just stupid stuff like that. You know, they came up, they came up with off the wall accusations against me and like threatened to report me for things I didn't do or say. They started rumors about my sex life and sexuality and, you know, spread those rumors to get amongst our classmates, like right in front of me. It was just crazy. I, I'd never understood why that was happening. I never did anything to them, you know, for, for them to, to do that to me. It's just very childish and shocking, you know, because they were probably like late 20s, early 30s. You know, they were tech sergeants and staff sergeants and I was an airman, you know, and I just didn't understand why, you know, like what I did to deserve that. Yeah. Did, were they there as like classmates? Yeah, they were. They were retrainees or whatever, you know, like they were switching career fields. Yeah. So yeah, they even, I know this sounds crazy, but like, I believe it wholeheartedly. They conspired with our class instructors to claim that I failed two tests in a row which I know for a fact was not possible because I was making good grades on everything. And so the instructors refused to show me my test results. So that's how I knew like this wasn't actually true. Instead, they decided to wash me back four months or, I mean, it was like they washed me back to the class that was behind us, which so happened to be four months behind. And then after that, I had to march to the schoolhouse every day just to sit there for four months watching my new class learn everything I had already learned and passed the tests for. Um, and I just, I didn't have any say in anything because they outranked me. You know, I just had no voice. I, I remember calling my mom crying, you know, like at least once a week, 
it was just a, a rough, rough time. Yeah, that sounds horrible. And like, and there's no closure on like why they did it, right? It just, it's just like this weird thing that will always kind of haunt me. <laughs> yeah, that's really sad and unfortunate. But even though you had to do four months over again, eventually you were able to graduate and then go to Langley to start your job. So was there any negative impact on getting rewashed besides besides that you had to do the class over again? I mean, yeah, just, you know, tech school, you don't have all your freedoms. So just kind of that idea of, oh my gosh, the finish line, the light at the end of the tunnel is another four months, which just seems like forever when you're in that situation. And, you know, just, yeah, not having all your independence and having to just go through the motions of, you know, marching to and from class, knowing that you're not going to be learning anything new that day. You know, it's just, it's frustrating. It was just really frustrating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And because I was an officer when I went to what would be kind of like tech school, it wasn't the same thing. And so I don't, I don't ever think about, but I was like, oh yeah, that would really... That would make life a lot harder because tech school isn't, it's not like college. (laughs) Like my tech school is more like college where I like went to class and then I had freedom and like there was no marching. And so that makes a lot more sense why like mentally it would be even tougher because it's like a light at the end of the tunnel. And then it's like, nope, you get to do it all over for four months when you didn't even get the proof that you failed. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was probably the most annoying thing about it all was that there was no proof. Yeah. So you went to Langley and you started working your job and mentioned you were like, probably you were part of the squadron. Did things get better as you continued to serve in the Air Force? Yes and no. I guess I didn't mention another thing that happened during tech school, which was one weekend my best friend confided in me and told me she was gang raped by our fellow classmates. Um, I was just, I was shocked, you know, livid, guilty that I wasn't there when maybe I could have stopped it from happening. Um, And shortly after she, you know, understandably decided to seek mental help. But then once she did that, she was informed she was no longer eligible to continue training for an intelligence career field. So she was sent to a different career field while I had to march alongside her perpetrators daily who ended up not facing any consequences for their actions. So I think that was like probably the biggest thing, you know, going through the motions of marching, but, you know, not just marching, but marching with my best friend's perpetrators, knowing that they weren't, you know, facing any consequences was And then, you know, and then not having my best friend there anymore, you know, it's like, she's off to Japan now, you know, and like, it's just, it was just very surreal. And something that, honestly, I didn't really think about, I wasn't educated enough prior to joining about how prevalent sexual assault was in the military. So, you know, the rest of my time in, I was just kind of paranoid and scared, you know, for myself and for my fellow female colleagues and you know it's just scary and even more scary because when she went to report it 
and went to mental health, they were like, you can't be in this job anymore. And that, I mean, you knew that. So like, even right now, like years later, you're, I can see that you're emotional. I don't know if people can hear it, but like, I can see the tears that are forming and like how much it impacted you. And you were stuck in a place where you couldn't talk to anyone because you couldn't go to mental health because your job and like, yeah, I think 2020 showed us a lot of things, but 2020 showed us how big of a problem military sexual trauma is within the military. And this is another unfortunate story that people tell stories like this all the time where they reported it and then nothing happened. And like, and the mental effect, it happened on her, but it also had such an impact on you having to walk to class with those same people knowing what they did and that nobody like that just mentally would be so scary because you yeah and just you know having a little bit of I guess relief once I got to Langley you know from not have you know having more freedom and independence and getting away from those um but sorry I'm not sure if I'm not supposed to say that (laughs) but you know still kind of that fear of what if that happens to me? I mean, like, I mean, at that point I was thinking this could happen to anyone. If it happened to her, it could happen to anyone in any situation. Yeah, that's true. And that's, I think that being aware of it helps protect you. You're less likely to trust people, which is unfortunate, but it's important, especially for women who are joining to be aware of the culture and like, how how you need to be on your guard and you need to protect yourself and it makes it it's really it's really frustrating it's yeah and it's just it's just like that hypervigilance on steroids because you're already taught to be hypervigilant when you join the military I mean that's just part of the training and then having something like that happen to you or your friend or whoever just knowing that it's happening around you it's just like it height it heightens that hypervigilance to an extreme. Yeah, and this was with your second class that you went through that this happened or there Yes. She wasn't actually in my class, but it was around that time frame. Oh, man, deep stuff. But it's important that we talk about it even the stuff that's not rah rah the military but the like reality because people need to know what has what has happened and I believe what continues to happen in the military and we can't make changes if we don't speak up and talk about these stories so thank you for sharing that yeah of course so let's talk about your time at Langley and what that experience was like besides having the mental stress the whole time of knowing what happened to your friend and that you felt like it could happen to you because it could. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it at Langley. I liked my squadron. I, I think my favorite part was PT, honestly. I mean, even though I had to go through all those crazy injuries and things and I had to work really hard to kind of get back to where I was or just kind of keep improving our squadron required group PT three times a week. And you know, that, that would sound horrible to some people, but I mean, I liked that PT was built into our schedule, you know, like, Hey, you don't have a choice. Let's go work out. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> here we go. So we were all just really competitive in our squadron and 
you know, the majority of us were in really great shape and, you know, prided ourselves on those perfect or near perfect PT scores. You know, the, the names of the people who scored a 99 or 100 on their PT test would be posted on a board at the front of our building. So yeah, I just really enjoyed that competitive nature. And I think in our specific career field, we just all really needed that exercise outlet after sitting, staring at computer screens all day. Yeah, I forgot about how much I loved group PT. We did PT three times a week too. And we had to get there at like 6.30 and normally we didn't have to get there till seven. But it was like, it was still, it was like, oh, I get to go work out for an hour and I get paid for it. Like, it's exactly. part of your, and not like I should go work out. It's like, no, you have to go work out. And we always had a lot of fun when we did like group workouts. And it does build like a team type environment because you're like working out, doing all these exercises and every once in a while we got to do like sports and stuff like that so yeah yeah those were those are the fun days with the sports <laughs> for sure yeah so let's talk a little bit about your transition out of the military you said you had wanted to cross train and the military said you're too important to cross train you <laughs> so you decided to get out and go to school so when you left the military, did you feel ready for the transition from active duty to being a student again? In a way, yes, because I had gone to college for a little while before I joined, but it was so very different having this military experience under my belt going back. So I I think I mentioned I separated, it was March of 2015, but the way, you know, the school calendar works, you have to apply, you know, before I think like the December time frame or something like that. So I had, I was prepared in the sense of, I'm always a planner, like that's just my nature. So I looked into UNC's linguistics program because I was, I had to finish up my undergrad first. And I was actually, so I guess I didn't mention that I was going for Spanish education before I joined, but then I kind of learned a little bit more about language and linguistics and that I could kind of just do more of a general um, linguistics study at UNC. And they had a small, really highly ranked program. So that's what intrigued me about that. So I applied that fall before I separated and got accepted, thankfully. And so by the time I separated, I knew what I was going to do, but it was just, it was a very weird transition. Like it was so exciting, but I just all of a sudden also felt very lost, you know, because my purpose, that purpose that was so important, you know, that really important job I had, you know, was just automatically taken from me. And, you know, as a student, you, you don't really, I mean, you're just sitting there learning. You don't, you have the purpose, of course, of being there and learning, but I still wasn't helping anyone. And that was kind of like my ultimate goal. And so I was just kind of in this lost I just had a lost feeling during that transition. Yeah, that's something that veterans talk about a lot, feeling lost, especially after leaving. So were you able to find your way or how did you find your way? Yeah, eventually I did. I found my calling. It ended up being speech language pathology and was able to luckily roll right into from a bachelor's into a master's at a program at UNC. And once I kind of started going to clinical rotations and things like that. And being able to treat patients myself, even as a graduate student clinician, I was starting to 
you know, see that light at the end of the tunnel and that purpose being brought back. So it was, it was quite the long transition. I mean, the whole time I was a student, like that whole four years was still just me trying to navigate military life to student life to civilian life and just combining all three of those and then finding another purpose and going to all these classes, trying to get good grades. And it was stressful and, and everything, but worth it for sure. Took some time, but I finally found found my way. (laughs) Yeah. I think that when people talk about transition, like when you go through TAPS class and they make it sound like it's a, like a, I'm snapping, but like a quick thing where you go from like being in the military to being a civilian. But Ben Colloy, he does the military veteran dad talks about how like there's a transition of you joining the military and the process of like how the military changes you and the way that they like instill different values into who you are. And so when you leave the military, it takes time to adjust to your new life and focus because the military's had such a big impact that you didn't even really realize was happening because it happened obviously over that first six weeks of boot camp, but it also happened over time as long as you stayed. And like four years isn't a long time, but it's definitely a big amount of time, especially at such a critical age. And so it took me like five years after I left the military before when people would be like, do you miss being in the military? And I'd be like, "Eh, you know, like, I kind of wish I was still in. And now it's been more than five years. And I'm like, no, I'm happy that I left the military. But for a long time, I really struggled with if I should have left or if I made the right decision and what was I supposed to do now? So it's, it's definitely, I can't find the right word, but it's nerve wracking, you know, when you like, you have this career already, you're trained to do something and then you just kind of have to take a leap of faith, I guess, like when you get out and do that transition. That's true. I like the way you talked about that because it is a leap of faith. And I don't think people, I think you think about like, oh, you're getting away from like the structure and like the control of your life, but you're also jumping away from that like safety net that the military has where you get a paycheck, your medical is taken care of. You don't really have to think about what you're going to do because the military is going to tell you. So that that's really good. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's all spelled out for you in the military. People think, I mean, I don't want to make a, a blanket statement, but I feel like most civilians think that military life is really hard, but it's, it's literally the the easiest thing you can ever do because you you're told what to do. You don't have to do anything for yourself. You don't really have to think for yourself or manage your own time or anything like that. It's just, it's spelled out for you. Yeah. I think, I mean, it takes a lot of sacrifice and you have to give up a lot of control, but someone I met in Bible study, her and her husband were trying to figure out if they should take this job opportunity, if they should move. And I was just like, it was so interesting to watch because she was like, should we do this? Should we do that? And I was like, I don't even like have that process. It's like, you're going here, done. And and it's so different than like the struggle of like, actually deciding what are we going to do? Because they, they weren't in the military. So they had the control to make the decision. And then they had to live with whatever they decided. And so, yeah, 
that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the struggle and the sacrifice is definitely challenging in the military. But as far as like what you do day to day, it's like, it's so simple because it's just, you, you're told. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. That's so true. Yeah. So I have really enjoyed getting to hear your story and to, to talk about a really hard thing that's really important to bring up about military sexual trauma and how it not only affects the person who has it happen to them, but the people that are friends with them. And I want to end the interview with what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? So I, I'd be lying if I said I would wholeheartedly recommend it only because of, you know, what I, because I'm thinking of what I would say to a a future daughter, you know, so i I just want to be clear and say, I believe women are fully capable of serving and are valuable to the military, but, you know, they have to take some things into consideration that men don't necessarily have to, such as the prevalence of sexual assault that we talked about, which um, is powerfully conveyed in the documentary, The Invisible War. So if, if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend watching it to anyone. I mean, it's just some it's just one of those films that you need to watch even though it's painful to watch. And you know, so if you I would tell somebody thinking about joining the military, you know, if you watch that documentary and you educate yourself about how everything works, you know, from culture to rank structure to benefits, career field options to types of service, you know, like active duty versus reserves and and all that and you still have your heart set on joining, then absolutely go for it. Don't let anyone doubt you or your potential. I think that's really great advice because I think the military isn't for everyone, but I think when you join the military, a lot of people don't have good experiences because they aren't educated on like what the military is like. And even we were talking before the interview started and I was talking about someone who wanted to do something and I was like, you can't do that. And that person was in the military and they were still getting bad advice. And so it's, you have, there's so much research that you have to do to join the military. And and not that recruiters don't do the right thing, but it's like the recruiters have a job to work for the military to get you in. And they also don't have time to do like, to figure out what your passion is. They're just there to guide you in the right direction and they can't get as in the weeds with every single person as that you personally need to take that responsibility to figure it out and do that. And if you are considered rejoining the military, I have a free guide on my website called a girl's guide to the military that will help get you started in like what questions to ask yourself and how to make that transition into the military a little bit smoother and I'm also have a YouTube channel where I answer questions about joining the military so you can go check that out so thank you so much for being on the show today I'm really so glad that we got to do this interview and thank you thank you Amanda thanks for having me listening to the 
this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Thank you.